upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and then all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And notice here again the breaking of bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How many are thankful for the church? Amen. This is the beginning, as we are reading, of, of uh, the beginning of the church here in Acts. And uh, you find that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're reading a portion of what this looked like shortly afterwards and uh, what the church looked like. I want you, by the help of the Lord, to... Um, I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to share with you a message that the Lord gave me uh, a week ago Saturday. And I believe very distinctly for this church. And um, I'm going to talk to you about this subject in a, in a form of a question. What kind of church is this? Amen. What kind of church is this? Dear Lord, I pray that you speak. Help me to get out of your way. In the name of Jesus. And everyone say amen. You may be seated. My uh, my dad was raised in uh, in the sticks. And when I say the sticks, I'm telling you, I've I've been there as a kid quite a few times. He was raised in the sticks of Georgia, and uh, old dirt road with red mud, and uh, everything was red. It just it's just in, out in the sticks of Georgia. A house that my, um, for a large portion of their life, a house that my grandfather built uh, by hand. And um, I, a few years later, he sold it. And then years later, um, he bought it back. And uh, I got to go visit that and stay for a couple nights at the house that my grandfather had built when uh, my dad was a, was a, was a child. Uh, my dad um, met my mom in Tupelo, Mississippi at a Bible college. My mom was from Indiana, so uh, my dad left the sticks of Georgia at 20 years old and moved to Tipton, Indiana, and launched a church, started a church. He said that when he crossed over the Ohio River that he waved goodbye to the United States and said he moved into a foreign land. He's been living in a foreign land ever since, and uh, my dad is now 75 years old. He's trying to figure out how to move south, as he has been for years, so he can escape the snow. He does not like cold. And so in the wintertime, you go visit my parents in Sheridan, Indiana, you'll find that the house is very warm. Uh, my dad has a potbelly stove in the back part of the house, and uh, he likes to put a lot of firewood in there. And then he curls up like a cat, lays on the floor in front of it, and uh the rest of us run to other parts of the house and open up windows and uh, try to cool down. And I was there in October, I was there at Christmas time, and uh, I kept going by and I'd flip the air condition on. And uh, he, he, he likes it nice and hot. He said that um, after living in Indiana for a few years, he went back to Plainfield, Georgia. This is um, the town that he lived in where my grandfather built the house. And there was a, a man by the name of Rayfield. And Rayfield was, uh, was an elderly man. And uh, he had a sense of humor. And uh, he hadn't seen my dad in a long time. And he said, Harold, he said, where have you been? My dad said, well, he said, Rayfield, he said, I moved to uh, Indiana. And uh, he kind of scratched his head. He said, yes. He said, I think I've heard of that county. And... Uh, Rayfield, the truth be told, Rayfield had never been out of the county that he'd been born in. And um, he actually thought Indiana was a county. And, uh, but then his sense of humor, he, he would make, tell my dad stories. So he told my dad one day, he said, yeah, he said, a guy came through town the other day, and he was asking for directions to the church of God. He said, I looked at him, he said, well, he said, um, I know if you go over there that way and turn, he said, that is the Lutheran church. And he said, if you go that way and turn that way and, and back again, he said, that's the Methodist church. He 
He said, if you go over that direction, and he said, that's the, uh, the Episcopal Church, and all of a sudden he just stopped and scratched his head. He goes, you know, he said, I don't think God got a church in this town. He, he had a good sense of humor. Um, I, I, I was kind of amazed that down in, living in, in Houston, outside of Houston, we, we live in Katy, Texas, and uh, everywhere you go, there, there's a church. I live 20 minutes away from uh, the United States of America, the largest church uh, as far as uh, weekly attendance. A church pastor by uh, Joel Olstein. I live 20. I live 20 minutes away. Um, on that drive, you will see numerous churches headed to our church that I serve as executive pastor. Um, there are numerous churches. In fact, right next to us is is a church. Um, but I I told Carrie today as we were driving here from the hotel, it just stood up and I said, "Man, there's so many churches. There's a church. There's a church. There's a church." And look at that church right there. And I drove by one, and I don't know what it was about it, but it's just I had flashbacks to Johnson City, and, and I, it, it didn't it didn't look like it. I think it was just the fact that there were two or three cars out in front, and uh, it took me back to those days of the home missionary type pastor and uh, and driving up and, and praying to God that more people would show up than uh, what I was anticipating. Uh, I remember one particular Sunday. During that, that that time, Carrie got sick, and I think just Melissa had to be out of town at that time. And uh, I, actually, one of the kids was sick, and and all I know is that I got up to speak, and we had one o'clock Sunday school, then two o'clock worship service. And by that time, we may have gone to ten o'clock and eleven o'clock. I don't remember for sure. I just remember it was a Sunday school time, and I walked in, and there were two people there, and uh, they happened to be ushers, and their seat that they like to sit on was the last row and there was a middle aisle we didn't use the aisles on the outside that much but it was a middle aisle and they sat down the, the pews at the very end and I'm up here at the pulpit and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking to myself I know them well and if I say would you guys move up to the front they're not budging and so I said what do you guys want to do and they said well we're here you prepared teach and I thought well my dad used to say that the reason I turned out so good was because uh, there were many times as a uh, home missions uh, pastor that he preached to my mom and I, and I was a baby. And he said, that's why I turned out to be so good is because I got all that preaching. And uh, so he would laugh about that. It's not true, but he, he would laugh about it. And so I grabbed the, 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 the pulpit, and I carried it down the center of the aisle, and I set it right in front of him. And I taught. And um, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life was that um, right before I finish, about 20 minutes before our worship service start, we would stop about 15 minutes till and have a 15-minute break. And about five minutes before I finished, I looked up, and I'm looking at a face that's peering through the glass window, kind of like it's on your doors back here. It's peering through the glass window looking at me, and it's a face of somebody that I've never met before. It's a guest. And uh, I am standing here right in front of the door about five feet away from the door with a pulpit and uh, thank the Lord they were family members of people in our church and that day I think we had 25 30 people to show up we had a great service a worship service but at that moment it was it was embarrassing so uh, anyway it has nothing to do with what I want to talk about today but other than the fact that um, you know there are many different types of churches. Um, you, you drive by and you see many different types of buildings. You you see many different types of styles of, of worship, and the list goes on and on. But what there uh, there is a an element that I am starting to see and have been seeing for quite some time in North America, and it is impacting many of our apostolic churches. And that is is that there seems to be this emphasis on being um, a, a performance-based church. Now, we would not use the terms that we are a performance-based church. In fact, most of us would say, well, we're not. We, we resist that. Most people would say, I resist that. And yet, it seems to me that we place such an emphasis on, on, a, on a performance. All across North America, you, you find uh, somewhat of a, a performance. And what I mean by performance is that we do our best 
to put on a presentation that impresses people, that makes us somewhat inviting or makes us um, compelling for them to come and join in. And, and, and there's some value in all of that. I'm not speaking out against all those things. But what I am saying is, is that there's a difference between being a performance-based church and a life transformational church. There's a difference. And uh, when I look at what happened back at the modern day outpouring of the Holy Ghost that largely was centered at Azusa Street, I find that that modern day outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that's, that's how it's referred to many times, it has spread uh, across this world to where that Pentecostalism within a few short years will, will overtake Catholicism. And uh, that, that beginning, uh, when I read the historical accounts, I don't read about those churches having great uh, facilities. Um, at the beginning, I, I don't read about great music. I, I don't read about great preaching. Uh, G.F. Taylor, an early Pentecostal leader, this is his writings as he describes this, this humble nature of the Zeus Street Church. He says, the center of this work is an old wooden Methodist church marked for sale, partly burned out, recovered by a flat roof and made into two flats by a floor. It is unplastered, simply whitewashed on the rough boarding. Upstairs is a long room furnished with chairs and three California redwood planks laid end to end on backless chairs. This is the Pentecostal upper room where sanctified souls seek Pentecostal fullness. There are smaller rooms where, hand, where hands are laid on the sick and they recover as of old. Below is a room 40 by 60 feet filled with odds and ends of chairs, benches, and backless seats. In the center of the big room is a box on the end covered with cotton, which a junk man would value at about 15 cents. This is the pulpit from which is sounded forth what the leader, Brother Seymour, calls old-time repentance, old-time pardon, old-time sanctification, old-time power over devils and diseases, and old-time baptism with the Holy Ghost and fire. Historical accounts say that most of the time what Seymour did, the leader of the Azusa Street, was that he stuck his head into the wooden crate that was the pulpit and he prayed. Such things, the, these buildings and the artifacts of this building and the actions of Seymour suggest greatly that Humility was a large factor in the Azusa Street Revival. Indeed, one article speaking of Azusa Street Revival stated, Some have come from long distances to this spot, directed of the Lord, and the humble have always been greatly blessed. After visiting for the first time, a guest was quoted as stating, The thing that impressed me most was the humility of the people. And I went to my room, I got down on my knees, and I asked God to give me humility. The revival that took place on Azusa Street, it stemmed from the hearts of people that were hungry for God, people who were humble people. Matthew chapter 16 and 18, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the of hell shall not prevail against it upon this rock i will build my church ladies and gentlemen brothers and sisters he wasn't talking about a building we we say i'm going to church today because we are gathering together, and for many people, going to church is what church is about. But when Jesus said, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it, he wasn't talking about a Sunday service or a Wednesday Bible study. He was not talking about an event. 
He was not talking about a certain time that we get together and we open up the doors and we begin our song set and we go through our, our procedure and our agenda. He wasn't talking about that. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, he was talking about people. People. I, I will build my church. So we say I'm going to go to church, and what a beautiful church that is, talking about a building. But the fact is, is that you and I are the church. And what we are, what we are, good or bad, is largely determined whether or not we are called up in being a performer and receiving performance or whether or not we're allowing God to bring about life transformation in our lives. Amen. So thank you that you are here today at church. But if this is all you do, and you go home tomorrow or later today, and you live like the devil, then you just attended an event to receive a performance. You didn't participate in life transformation. And the church is not about an event. It's about transformation. Now, I, I'm going to be a little bold, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because that's not the kind of guy I am. It goes against my personality, but I'm going to be a little bit bold today, and so I hope it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. I have preached at your old building many times, and I have said many times, you've got to get out of that building. You got to get out of that building. You got to get out of that building. I preached here a few months ago. I am thankful for your building. I celebrate with you. And I mean that sincerely. I mean that sincerely. But here's a danger if we're not careful. We have spent years trying to get to a building. Now we get the building and we remodel the building. And if we're not careful, we will think it is about the building. But the building is meaningless if we don't have life transformation. Amen. And we got to be careful not to get off center in what God is wanting to do. Amen. I would rather be in an old building that is falling apart with the ceilings are too low in the lobby where it's too crowded and have life transformation than to be in a nice building where the ceilings are nice, the lights are nice, we got plenty of room. I would rather be in the old building and have life transformation than to be in a new building called up in performance. Amen. Amen. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Not a rebuke, but I am just gently reminding that when it's all said and done, what is going to reach Morrisville is not the fact that you've got a building. Because, y'all, I just passed several buildings that still look nicer than this building. That was kind of mean. And, and y'all got great, y'all got great seeing and, 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 and playing on that. But I promise you, there, there's churches around here that's got better. And you got coffee, but there's probably somebody's got Starbucks. I don't know, you know, I don't drink coffee. I don't know if that's better. They can have it. And 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 the list goes on and on. So so the point there being is that thank God for what you have. I I, I mean that. Thank God. I, I celebrate with you. But we cannot lose sight of the fact. That what got us here, that what got us here was that somewhere in the journey of our life, each and every one of us that are here today, there came a moment that we cried out to God, God, I'm not everything I need to be. God, I need you in my life. God, I am broken. God, I need revival in my heart. I need you. I'm telling you, humility got us here, and we cannot think that pride is going to take us to where we need to go. It won't work. Amen. It will not work. 
And and here here's the danger. It's it, it's it's one of the settings that explains this is found in First Kings chapter fourteen. And in First Kings chapter fourteen, you find that Solomon's temple. It, it it's been built, and it, it's one of the great artifacts of 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 Israel. And uh, th this beautiful building, it's it's filled with treasures, and and it, it's just beautiful. And then Solomon. He, he leaves his wealth to his son, Rehoboam, and, and now you've got this temple and this palace. And yet five years later, after Solomon has left this to Rehoboam, uh, you, you find that most of the wealth is gone. And this verse of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 26 is interesting because you find that Rehoboam takes away the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house, and he hands them over to the Egyptians as a payoff for peace. And he says in verse 26, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all. He took away all the shields of gold. He took them away, the shields of gold, which Solomon had made, and King Rehoboam made in their stead. In other words, he replaced these shields of gold with brazen shields and committed them unto the hands of the chief of guard, which kept the door of all the king's house. First Kings 10, it, it gives us more details of, of what these shields were like. And it says that there were 500 of them. There were 200 that were large and 300 were small. These shields were made beautiful displays in the house of the force of Lebanon. But in their place, as Rehoboam takes these shields and he gives them away to the Egyptians as a payoff for peace, Rehoboam has these bronze shields made. They're constructed and they're kept in this protected guard room until they were needed for uh, state occasions and, and special occasions. And 1 Kings 10 and 21, this is interesting. It says that Solomon, during the time of Solomon, that the people, they despised silver. They had so much gold that they despised silver. But here they are five years after Solomon has passed. And now they are embracing shields that are made of bronze. Bronze. They shine it up and it looks like gold. It looks like the real thing. They bring it out for special occasions. From the distance, the people celebrate because there's the 500 shields of gold, but it's not gold. It's bronze. It's not what it used to be. And if we are not careful, this is what's happening in the world that we live in today, the Christian world, is that we have been so far removed now from Azusa Street that we've got nicer buildings than we had at Azusa Street. We've got better music than we had at Azusa Street. We've got, the list goes on, we've got better preachers than we had at Azusa Street. And if we're not careful, what will happen is that there'll come a time that we fall in love with performance we give over the gold, and now we polish the bronze in a presentation that it makes it look like it's real to everyone else. And I know what I'm talking about here today. Now, I'm not against lights. And I'm not against using fog machines for certain occasions. I've, I've done all those things. I'm not against all those things. But I've seen people use lights and use fog machines and pretend as though that, oh, the glory of the Lord is in our midst. Folks, you can't take lights in a fog machine and mimic the glory of the Lord. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we can get caught up in singing certain songs and get emotional and it not be a life transformational moment. I have stood in my house listening to Celine Dion sing the Star Spangled Banner with my hand on my heart with tears running down my face because I was moved emotionally. And we can be moved emotionally by bronze and not really truly have true gold.
this okay? Some of you, I think you've already turned me off. You've done tune me out. You're like, mm, I'll turn my hearing aid off of that one. I'm listening to that one no more. Amen. My, 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 my grandmother would not live for the Lord. She, she was baptized when my dad and, and, and the, his family came to the Lord. My dad was about 12 years old. My dad's twin had, had fallen off a porch and had seizures uh, for 10 years, three or four times a week. And they went to the house of the Lord, and someone invited them, a family member. And my uncle went down to the altar, and he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God called him to preach and healed him of his seizures. He's 75, never had another one after that day. My grandmother was baptized but would not live for the Lord until she was in her 70s. And the reason she wouldn't live for the Lord all those years, she would tell my dad, who was pastoring, my uncle's pastor, and my, my aunt married a pastor, started churches all in Georgia. But my grandmother would not live for the Lord. And the reason she wouldn't live for the Lord, she said, that church is full of hypocrites. And my dad would say, well, Mom, where do you expect to find hypocrites? Down at the bar? He said, Mom, he said, that's where hypocrites go. They go to church. And, 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 and what happens many times in, in, in hypocrites is that it's not that we're trying to be something that, you know, trying to project something that's not real. But what happens many times in, in being a hypocrite is that we use religion thinking that somehow that I can get a hold of religion and religion will make me good. If I, in other words, if I go to church and I am stringent in my life and, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to do this and do that, somehow I'll be good. And that makes us a hypocrite because the fact is, is that without God, without God, we're, we're, we're not good. And so if we're not careful in a performance-based church, we will get caught up in the emotion and we're there and we're clapping and we're singing and we're doing all this. And we think, well, the performance is going to save me. The performance does not save us. The fact is, is that every single one of us, we need God. We don't get good to get God. We get God to get good. Amen. Is this okay? So, so this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Church started with doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth and shall be turned unto fables. In other words, there will come a time that I will find somebody, fables, talk, conversation. I'll find some kind of conversation. You'll study it all out. There's a lot to this. But, but there'll come a time that I will turn away from truth. I'll be turned to novel things, sensational things. I'll find something that appeals to me. And a response to all of that, Paul first instructs Timothy, preach the word. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. Could I say it like this today? Thank God for ministers that want to preach sound doctrine and you ought to encourage and you ought to exhort and you ought to say amen when you hear preaching of sound doctrine. Amen. Because it may not be the most polished. It may not be the most beautiful performance. It may not be the most mesmerizing. It may not be something that appeals to you emotionally, but Speeches that appeal to you emotionally emotionally may not save you, but sound doctrine. You've got to have sound doctrine. You need a preacher to preach sound doctrine. Thank God for preachers that preach sound doctrine. Amen. Amen. So so let, let, let me get to my point, and I, I'm going to end pretty shortly, and, and God's going to do something here today, not because of me, but because the Lord is going to do a work. And I, I feel that very strongly. I have felt it all a week long and felt it all day today and throughout this service. What kind of church is this? I was driving down the road from Dallas, headed back to Houston, and I had stopped at Starbucks to grab a 
refresher and get online and look up some scriptures because the Lord was talking to me and I, I needed to stop. I couldn't do all that while driving. And I jumped back on the road and the Lord continued talking to me. And I grabbed my phone and I, I pulled up on YouTube and I typed in the old title to a song that I heard years ago and used to sing, What Kind of Church Is This? And I found a Pentecostal preacher. I know him and met him years ago, and, and uh, he was leading the song, and I hit play. And I began to listen to the song, and as I began to listen to the song, the presence of the Lord began to, to flood my, my automobile, and the next thing I knew, tears were on my face, and I could barely see to drive. And, and the, the song is real simple for those of you that um, may have never heard it before. It just simply says, what kind of church is this? And then the next line is the response. This is a Holy Ghost church. What kind of church is this? This is a sanctified church. What kind of church is this? This is a Holy Ghost church. This is a hand clapping, feet stomping, body rocking, devil chasing, true blue, red hot, Holy Ghost, sanctified Church. Anybody ever heard? I know there's different versions of some of those last lines, but what kind of church is this? This is a Holy Ghost church. What kind of church is this? This is a sanctified church. What kind of church is this? This is a Holy Ghost church. This is a hand clapping, foot stomping, devil chasing, aisle running, Holy Ghost sanctified church. That's my memory. I have a very simple question. I believe that the Holy Ghost wants me to ask this church here today. What kind of church is this? What kind of church will this be? I thank God for systems and structure and, and greeters and, and ushers and having everything together. And I spent a lot of time on that in my duties back in Katy. I think there's value in that. I'm not discounting that. But I don't want my kids to grow up in a church that has an understanding of systems and structure, but doesn't know what it is to live a sanctified life, to have a move of God, to experience the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. I want a church that is genuine, that's real. Amen. I, I want a church that that it that doctrine is preached and that it's accepted. And I, I want a church that's on fire for God, and I'm not talking about performance. When I was a kid, we would stand and we would sing like this because it was just part of our culture. You didn't do a whole lot. You might do a little bit of this, but now we do this. I never, I never did that. But I, I look at churches nowadays. I watch them online. What's at our church? We got, we do, we do this, and 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 we got this, and 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 not not discounting. You know, look alive. I'm, I'm cool, I'm cool with that. And I've told people when you're on the platform, make sure that you smile. You know, don't sing. Joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Ha, 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 ha. I mean, I'm like, come on now, look alive. And, and so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for encouraging, but, but I, 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 I might as well just say it. I'm already out there. I, I, I know of situations where that we have taught those that are lead us in worship. Do your hands like this as opposed to do your hands like this. Make sure that you're doing this. And, and we, we got to be careful because we will, we will find ways to, to mimic things. And we'll see this is doing this. And we'll, we'll pick up on stuff. And before we know it, we are more in tune with a performance than we are in allowing God to transform our lives. What, 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 kind of, what kind of church is this? So, yes, the church should be on fire. And I want to commend you today because I have felt the presence of the Lord in this service. 
So this is not a rebuke. I commend you. I have felt the presence of the Lord, and there are people that are very sincere in connecting with his presence. But I stand here today with a word from the Lord. I pray that it's received. I would not say what I'm getting ready to say if I did not feel it from the Lord. The church should be a church that's on fire for God, but the church has also got to be a safe place for the hurting. The church has got to be a sanctified house. It's got to be a house where things are done in decency and order, but it's also got to be a place for the hurting. It's got to be a church where that we grow up leaders and we grow up ministers and we, we, we raise people up to serve in different capacities and we want it done right. Where they open the door, there's a certain way. And you greet, there's a certain way. And when you say certain things, there's a certain way. Yes, 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 yes. But it's also got to be a place for hurting. It's got to be a place where people can make mistakes. Gary Small and John Trent's book titled The Blessing, they state, the church needs to be a shelter for those who have faced the storms of life and a place where God's love radiates to a needy world, a place where the blessing is given to others and where authenticity, authenticity is a password to fellowship, not performance, not you meeting my criteria, but authenticity, your mistakes, your failures, fellowship. Unfortunately, many churches have failed to be the place for the hurting. Instead, we hide our pain behind a facade of praise. And we polish our bronze shields. And we give out an impression that everything is okay. It looks like gold. It looks like gold. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Looks like gold. But inside, somewhere, we've traded gold for bronze. And we polish it so that everyone can see it and be impressed. But the truth of the matter is, is that behind the facade is a lot of brokenness. And then we demand everyone else around us to carry like shields of bronze and not showcase your brokenness. Pastor, I do this because I feel it led in the Holy Ghost. I felt it earlier. I feel it even right now. There came a time that Joshua drew a line. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Would you come with me, sister? Why? Would you come with me? Symbolic. Standing right here across this front. I want you to draw a line. Draw a line. Just walk. Walk that way, walk that way, then walk back together. Just draw a line. You can go that way, you can go that way. Just draw a line. There is a line, symbolic right now, being drawn in the Spirit for this church. If I've ever felt the Holy Ghost, I feel the Holy Ghost right now so strong. There's decisions to be made in this place today that will determine the course of your life or whether or not you're going to stand on one side that is about your performance and holding your shields of bronze or whether or not you're going to let down those shields of bronze and step over on the other side and say, you know what, I'm broken. People are broken. I'm not going to demand nor am I going to present myself as being someone who has it all together with my shield of bronze, but instead I'm going to become a place for the hurting and I'm going to welcome the hurting. Choose you this day 
what kind of church this is going to be. What kind of church is this? Thank you. What kind of church is this? Would you just take a moment, close your eyes, lift your hands in the name of Jesus. God, in the next few moments of this church service, God, I pray that you do the work that you desire to do in our hearts and lives. God, what I mean by that is I pray that we open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to allow you to do what you want to do in this place. In the name of Jesus. We polish our bronze in attempt to keep people from looking behind the closed doors and realizing something has been missing. See, our world is filled with real people, people who've been through some things, people who are still growing, people who need us to extend grace to them, people who are very vulnerable, people who are on a journey. And the church needs to be the safe place for those people to experience that journey. 1977, a song was written by Ken Menem. He, he, he describes the church with these words. If this is not a place where tears are understood, then where shall I go to cry? If this is not a place where my spirit can take wings, then where shall I go to fly? I don't need another place for trying to impress you with just how good and virtuous I am. No, no, no. I don't need another place for things. We're, we're always being on top of things. Everybody knows it's a sham. It's a sham. I don't need another place for always wearing smiles, even when it's not the way I feel. I don't need another place to mount the same old platitudes. Everybody knows that it's not real. If this is not a place where my questions can be asked, then where shall I go to seek? If this is not a place where my heart cry can be heard, then where, tell me, where shall I go to speak? If this is not a place where tears are understood, where shall I go? Where shall I go to cry? King Saul, I'm coming to a close, but King Saul, he was more concerned with protecting his image than he was in experiencing life transformation. Saul was instructed to destroy everything of the Amalekites, all life, all livestock, everything. And when confronted by Samuel, Saul said, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. I've done what he said. But Samuel said, well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What, what's this lowing of the cattle that I hear? And then Saul answered, he says, well, the soldiers brought them home from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice unto the Lord, but we totally destroyed everything else. And Saul said, we, we spared the best sheep. We, 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 we spared the best oxen to sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. We're, we're going to use it in worship to God. We, we have a wonderful presentation planned. And Samuel said, God does not delight in your burnt offerings and your sacrifices because your heart is not right. Your presentation, it, it stinks to God because your heart is not right. And then Saul, he acknowledged his sin. He even said the words, I have sinned. But then notice what he said next. This is shocking. 1 Samuel 15, verse 30. Yet honor me. I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. In other words, Saul was more concerned with his image than he was with his heart. 
If we're not careful, we, we will become so concerned with our image that we will we will do everything that we can to present the right presentation to 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 polish up the bronze than we will be with our heart. Fast forward, it's years later, Saul's gone, David is now the king, and at the junction of, of this story, David is the one who is now broken. David has committed adultery. He's had a man murdered. But notice what David does that's different than Saul. Saul, he's focused on appearance. David declares, as Brother Matthew Mullins mentioned earlier, in Psalms 51, 16, and 17, for thou delightest not, in sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. David, it seems to me, goes back in time and he remembers what Saul did. He remembers how Saul handled his brokenness. Saul tried to cover it up. Saul was moved by his own image and and trying to impress people. And David, he started out doing the same thing. He was trying to hide behind his facade. But then he acknowledged his sin and he embraced brokenness. So I say to this church today, God's not impressed with performance. God is looking at hearts. And a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God will not despise. So choose today what kind of church this will be. A church that demands performance or a church that embraces brokenness. I can tell you what God doesn't despise. God doesn't despise brokenness. He doesn't care for performance. So today, in the spirit, there's been a line that's been drawn. I can tell you the pastor is. It's on this side of the line. So I invite you today to make a decision to choose brokenness, to embrace brokenness, to embrace broken people, to become a place for the hurting, to become a place that we don't destroy the broken, we don't despise the broken. Instead, we embrace the broken because we understand that we too are broken. If we will embrace that, this church is going to step into the future that God destined for this church a long time ago. But if we demand performance, we'll never get there. Amen. So I invite you today to stand with me and to walk across the line. To step across and say, I'm going to embrace brokenness. I want to embrace brokenness. We're going to become a church. unlike ever before, that embraces brokenness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, there are broken people in this place today. There are broken people in this place today. And God, you heal brokenness. But God, you will only heal what we allow you to heal. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. Would you lift up your voice, lift up your hands. In the name of the Lord God, I will allow you to do what you want to do in my life. God, I will embrace brokenness. God, I will allow myself to be hurt. I will allow myself to feel pain. God, I will allow myself to be taken advantage of. God, I will allow myself, God, to be trodden down for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of your work. Oh, God, I will not demand people to perform for me. In the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, 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 would you find somebody near you, not just, just anybody, but I want you to find people, link up with people, and I want us to pray. And Sister Rebecca, if you would, I won't impose upon you, but if you would just come and play. In the name of the Lord. 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 Would you allow the Holy Ghost to minister?